So today I want to talk about, just for a few minutes, and I really will try to respect your time today. Uh, I know a lot of times I say that, and at, by 12.30, a lot of you are like, are you kidding me? In fact, my own wife, my very beautiful wife, shared uh, yesterday <laughs> some videos on social media. <laughs> Did anybody, does anybody follow Elizabeth on social media? If you follow, she shared a story, and there's a lady, that's, it's the old Baptist lady. And she's like, if that preacher don't shut up, and it's reading her mind. And finally, when she's ready for him to be quiet, she gets out his, her keys and you hear her voice in her mind saying, I know you hear my keys, preacher. That means it's time to wrap it up, wrap it up. If you haven't seen it, you need to look it up because it's pretty funny. But don't, 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 don't rattle your keys at me now. Cultivating the consciousness of his closeness. That's what I want to talk about. Cultivating the consciousness of his closeness. Now, to be sure, we don't cultivate his closeness. His closeness is, a, is an ever-present reality. All right, I want to set the stage a little bit. I'm going to read some of my notes, read some scripture, and I'll let you go home. Uh, but it is, it is imperative in the time in which we live that we understand, Peter talked about it, not just who we are, but where we are. He kept saying, understand the times and the seasons of the Lord, the times of the Lord. And if you look around, there are a lot of people that are crying, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Um, and for every generation where there has ever been uh, major world events, whether it was world wars or, or, or sicknesses, uh, that swept the earth or anything like that uh, or a fear pandemic that is pushed by the news media, you're going to hear the little chicken little prophets. You know, chicken little, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. But for every generation where there are those naysayers and those false prophets saying the sky is falling, there will always be the voice of a John crying in the wilderness saying, hey, we're making straight, the, the, we're, we're preparing a way for the Lord. This is the time of the Lord. This is the day of the Lord. And so uh, for every false voice that there is in, in the world, there's also the real, the true prophetic. And if you listen and you tune the frequency of your heart to heaven, you're going to hear the Lord saying, I'm not ready for the world to be done. I'm not destroying anybody. In fact, I'm, I'm, still, uh, I'm still on plan number one. God doesn't have a plan B. Plan A is the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Plan A is the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Plan A is thy kingdom come and thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven and he has not changed his mind and he's not changed his plan and so but it is it is absolutely uh, it, it, it is imperative in times like this that we dial our frequency uh, tune, tune our tuner to the frequency of heaven and hear what thus saith the Lord what God is saying because if we don't and we're led astray by another voice we're going to miss the purpose of God we will miss the season of God and he's by promise he will always come back around but if you miss there's an old saying that says the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized within the lifetime of the opportunity. And right now in 2021, the church, the church, the, the, the ecclesia, the, those of us that are called by his name, the bride of Christ, have been presented with an unbelievable, uh, uh, unmatched, unprecedented opportunity to, to be the light that we're called to be, to be the salt that we're called to be. And unfortunately, too many people are tuned to the wrong frequency and they're looking for Jesus to appear any minute, get us out of here. No, Jesus put us here because we were here with a mandate to make sure that the kingdom that is within us manifests from within us and surrounds us and touches every aspect of our lives. And so it's imperative. 
When you, when you connect with a voice that is the voice of Jesus, that is the voice of the prophetic, because anytime that G, you're going to be an appearing of Jesus, there will always first be the voice of a prophet. And the Lord wants to appear in your heart today, and he wants to appear in your circumstances. But you might want to tune to the voice of the prophetic that goes before you, saying that we've got to cultivate the consciousness of his closeness. In, in, in the New Testament, Paul says, Be ye not conformed to this world or to the pattern of this world. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. How? Not by your spirit. Your spirit is born in one with his spirit. Paul makes that very clear. In fact, when you're born again, when, when you're born of the kingdom, you can't sin with your spirit. That's, that's in your Bible, by the way. That's called the New Testament. Don't be conformed to the past, but be transformed. The word transformed, as you know, is the, is the same word that we get, metamorphosis. Be transformed, be changed. Get out of the dirt and start flying in the heavens. How? By the renewing of your mind. This is how we're transformed. Not behavior modification, not trying to be a good boy or good girl, not trying to follow a set of rules or not. You don't need to follow a set of rules if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Before the Holy Spirit made us his temple, before God manifested making us his temple, then yes, we needed to know, do this, don't do that. But now that the Holy Spirit resides within, we don't need to read a set of rules. We allow the Holy Spirit to lead us, as Jesus said, and guide us into all truth. And if we happen to make, uh, make a mistake or make a failure, the Bible says we, had, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Amen. Amen. Get off. I said I'd let you out in a certain amount of time, so I'm going to try that. So throughout Scripture, it becomes more and more clear that the desire of Father's heart is to be with his people. In fact, if you read Scripture, all throughout Scripture, especially when we get to Jesus, because Jesus is the key. You know, you get those, you know, the maps, and down at the bottom corner of every map is a key, and it helps you understand what you're looking at when you look at the map. Think of the Bible as a map and Jesus as a key that unlocks what you're looking at when you look at the map. The only lens through which we can properly read all Scripture is through the lens of the understanding of who Father is manifested in the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus reveals the Father. In fact, his sole purpose was to come and reveal Father to children and to, and to reconcile the world back unto God. God didn't need to be reconciled to us because God never left his first estate. It was man that fell away and man that needed to be reconciled back to God. But before Jesus could reconcile man back to God, he had to reconcile our broken image of God because we didn't know what he was like. Because we had been lied to. And prophets and, and kings and, and men and women of old would see a glimpse, a small glimpse, but not the full picture of who God was. And so, but they would assume that they saw all of God. So some might see God as a battling warrior. or Some might call him the lion of the tribe of Judah. And God is not actually literally a lion. That's a, that's a, that, that, that's a metaphor to understand what he's like. But finally, if we move through the scripture and get to the life of Jesus, now I've got the key. Now I've got the key and I can look at the map again and I understand everything I'm looking at with this key. Jesus is the key that unlocks the truth of what the scriptures tell us. In fact, I would argue that the scripture is not the, is not the literal word of God. The scripture is the written word about the literal word, which is Jesus. Because the Bible is clear in John 1. In the beginning was the Word. And most people think that means Bible, but the Bible was not in the beginning, but the Word, which is the Logos, which is the intellect of God, was there. 
Jesus is the word of God and the Bible is the word about the word. And what we've done is we've replaced Jesus with a Bible and we worship the Bible. And the problem with that is the Bible says the letter killeth, but the spirit makes alive. And how is the letter kill? Because you can take that Bible and make excuses to do a whole lot of bad stuff, including slavery, including misogyny, including a whole slew of bad things, you know, multiple wives and all that stuff. You can take the Bible and twist it to say, but if you read the Bible through the lens of Jesus, then you're going to love your neighbors yourself. If somebody takes your coat, Jesus, it was so funny how he drew a contrast. I feel like I need to set this stage. Jesus, he contrasted the reality of who Father was with what we thought. He said, you've heard it said by them of old time. Now, he's talking to Jewish people after thousands of years of indoctrination as a Hebrew, believing that they are God's chosen people, and they are, and they were. And, and, and by the way, you're, you're a Jew after the Spirit, not after the flesh, according to the New Testament. But to believe that, and Jesus says, you're, you're guys, Moses, and the law, and all the problems. They would say, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. But I say... Literally drawing a contrast, which is an, an opposite perspective. But I say, if a man takes your, takes your coat, give him your shirt too. But I say, love your enemies. Now, that doesn't sound like the God of the Old Testament. But Jesus came to reveal what God was actually like and not what those in the Old Testament thought that he was like based on their experience. If we judge God solely based on our experience, then a lot of us would call God a failure because my promise didn't come to pass. A lot of us would call God a liar because I know he told me this and it didn't happen. But the truth of it is, the reality is God doesn't change and he hasn't changed. And our perception of God is broken until and only until we see God through the lens of Jesus. Let me get back. Get back to what I'm going to talk about. Adam, uh, we see in Genesis when God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. We see it in Abraham when God appears to him. And he makes a promise and even awakens his dead loins to fulfill the promise that he made. The New Testament says of Abraham that he believed. Simply he believed. Here's what God said to Abraham. Abraham, get up and go to a land I'll show you. And Abraham said, where am I going? And the Lord said, I'll tell you when you get there. Just get to walking. That's what faith is. We want to know all the plans and all the details up front. And if we don't, I ain't taking this walk. Abraham didn't know anything except that God said, get up and go, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless your seed, and I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth with your seed. And Abraham said, well, I guess I'll go. What did he leave? Father, mother, jaw. He left everything. God, can you imagine how, how wonderful of a wife he must have had? Hey, honey, we're going. Where do you want to go? Well, I don't know. God's sending us. Where's he sending us to? I don't know that either. Well, what's it look like? I don't know. What are we going to do when we get there? I don't know. I know we're going to make babies. How long is it going to take to get there? I don't know. And you know what she said? All right, I'll go with you. What a good wife. My God. Or, or, or insane. How many of you women, if your husband walked and said, hey, we're moving. We're going to sell the house and move. And, you know, we, you got a business. We're going to sell the business and move. We're just going to give the money. Where, where are you going? I don't know. How long is it going to take to get there? I don't know. What are we going to do when we get there? I don't know. How many of you women say, yeah, I'm down? Don't raise your hand because you're going to prove your craziness. <laughs> when, when, we look at the, when we look at the life of Moses, we see, we see him in a wilderness, intrigued by a burning bush and talking to God in the bush. He didn't yet know who was speaking. In fact, he said to God, when God spoke out of him out of the bush, he said, uh, when I go to Pharaoh and I tell him, you want me to let my people go, who am I supposed to say sent me? 
He didn't know who he's even talking to. It's just crazy, this fire. And he said, tell him I am that I am. I am has sent you. The Lord's answer was, I am. Then a mighty hand, Yahweh, showed his great power to the people and the nations and showed them again and again who he was. All the people gathered around the mountain. Remember this, when they were in the wilderness, gathered around the mountain and saw the fierce glory of God descend upon the mountain. The Bible says you would be like a smoky cloud that would sit on top of it. And they weren't even allowed to come and touch the mountain. If they even touched the base of the mountain, when the presence of the Lord was on the mountain, they would die. Or at least that's what they thought. And yet over time, the cloud that overshadowed the mountain came down the mountain because he wanted to dwell among his people. The whole time he's trying to tell the people, and there's a narrative, I want to be with you. I've chosen to make you my tabernacle. I've chosen to make you my temple. Of all the places I could exist, and of all the places and things that could house me, above all else, I choose you. And it doesn't matter what you think about yourself, and it doesn't matter how you see yourself. It doesn't change the reality that when I go to create a place for me to live, for a place for me to dwell, to tabernacle, I choose you. No one could touch the mountain and live, and yet over time, the cloud that overshadowed the mountain came to dwell among the people. The cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and there was a fire inside the cloud by night, visible to the entire house of Israel throughout all the stages of their journey. That's Exodus 40, uh, verse, uh, chapter 40, verse 38. It is as if the Lord is screaming, I want to live among you. We see the stories of the prophets and the kings and the Lord again and again dropping hints, not so subtle at times, that his desire is not to be enthroned in, a, in an ethereal place uh, separated from us. The, the, this, there's a myth. There's a myth and it's perpetrated a, a lot of times not just by the world but by preachers uh, behind a pulpit because they don't really know him but since they have a degree they think they're qualified to preach but they don't know him. And the myth is that there's this separateness of God. And it is a myth. You're either listening real, real hard, or you're thinking about the ham that's, on the, that's, on, that's in a crock pot at home. I, I'm hoping you're listening real hard. It is a myth that there's this separateness of God. I'm going to prove it to you. At least I'm going to attempt to. We see... We see God not so subtle at times telling his people that his desire is to be among them. Even the prophet Isaiah would write this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. And here's the sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him. Does anybody read the Bible? Will call him. There you go. And what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Not only did he want a tabernacle among us, he was so insistent that he named himself the God that is among his people. John chapter 1, and this is from the Passion Translation. In the beginning, the living ex expression was already there. Not the Bible, the Word. Not against the Bible. I'm for the Bible. I'm just trying to explain something to you. Let's not be worshiping a book. Let's worship the one that the book was written about. And let's understand what the book is trying to tell us through the lens of the one that the book is written about. In the beginning, the living expression was already there, and the living expression was with God, yet fully God. They were together face to face. Remember I told you, that's the word in the Hebrew for presence. There's not a word. It's the understanding of being face to face. In the very beginning, and through his creative inspiration, the living expression made all things, for nothing has existence apart from him. The, the, 
A fountain of life was in him, for his life is the light for all humanity. And this light never fails to shine through darkness, light uh, that darkness could not overcome. And suddenly a man appeared who was sent from God, a messenger named John. For he came as a witness to point the way to the light of life and to help everyone believe. John was not the light, but he came to show who it is. For he was merely a messenger to speak the truth about the light. For the perfect light of truth was coming into the world and shine upon everyone. He entered into the world he created, yet the world was unaware. He came to the people that he created, to those who should have received him, but they didn't even recognize him. I wonder in 2021 how many times he still comes to his own, but his own don't receive him because they can't see him. What needs to be healed is our perception of reality, our consciousness of his closeness. If we were utterly conscious of just how close he is, we would never walk a single moment in defeat. I'm going to say it again. I got a wow out of it. That means one person heard me, maybe more than did. If we were ever to become fully conscious of just how close he is to us, with us, and in us, we would never walk one single moment in defeat. How could you? That's what the New Testament author says. How, if God be for us. I mean, I mean it's, it's a challenging thing to think of. And it was, a, it was, a, it was, an, it was an epiphany almost. If, wait a minute. If God is for me, if the one who by his fingers flung stars into space, if, if the one who looked down on a bag of dust and said, and breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul, if, my God Almighty, if the one who out of his nostrils blew galaxies, and the one who in, inside of him all things consisted, if God didn't exist in the universe, but the universe existed inside of him, if this God would be for me, if the God that walks into a dead girl, and says, Talitha Kumi, which is to say, arise, little girl. If that God's for me, if the God who cries out, Lazarus, come forth, and he that was dead came forth bound in grave clothes and walked and lived, if, if that God is for me, if the God whose son would walk up and grab a hold of a coffin in a town called Nain, the King James Version of the stone, the stone table is called a beer, B-I-E-R. If, if Jesus could, if, if the same God that grabs that, and the Bible says when he grabbed a hold of the coffin that took, what did he take? The only son of a widow. It's so important to read into what's being said. This woman had no life after her own and had no future because her future was dead and her past was dead too because her husband was dead. She was a widow, so she was going to be left alone with no past and no future floating in a reality of weariness and floating in a reality of sorrow. And yet, at the appearance of Jesus, the Bible says they that were carrying her dreams away and they that were carrying her hopes away and they that were carrying her future away stood still because how can the messengers of death carry away anything from you when the messenger of life shows up on the scene? If God be for me, who can be against me? You're going to make me preach in this place and all I want to do is talk to you. If the same God that says, I am Jesus, I am he that was dead, but I'm alive. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And not Satan and not Adam. And no one else has the key, yet I have the keys of death and of hell. Who has the keys of hell? Jesus has the key. Who has the keys of death? 
I have the keys of death. If God before me, who can be against me? My job this morning is to try to create an appetite, is to try to create a hunger, is to try to create a space where you'll say, wait a minute, maybe what he's saying is true. Maybe really all that needs to happen is I, I'm not, God's not waiting, or I'm not waiting on God to do something, he's waiting on me. And what's he waiting on me to do? To become conscious of an already present reality. And what is the present reality? Heaven is not a mansion in the, in the sky in the by and by. And I hope you get that. Honest to God, I hope you get the best house you've ever seen. Heaven is a person, and he is here, and his kingdom is established here and now. And because it is, we have access to all the goods and the services of that kingdom. My God. And how did we get access? Because we were put in the will of the one who wrote, who wrote the testament. And when he wrote it, he died so that he could make it legal. And then he came back from the dead so he could enjoy it with us. And therefore, we are not only heirs of God, but we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We need to become conscious of the closeness. The Bible says that he's closer than even your next breath. I would go further even to say he must be because he is your next breath. He is the only one who has ever breathed out of his being life. And out of that one blast of his nostril, everything that has ever lived came into being. With one whoosh, with one ruach, with one blowing of his nostril, everything that has ever lived came into being. If God be for me. It's almost like saying, because God's for me, there ain't nothing that can stand against me. And because God is for me, I dare you. David, David saw this. He saw it. It was almost like a Christophany. When he stood, he walked in. He was simply going to bring bread and cheese. I can tell you what that was, but I'll leave it alone for now. He was simply going to bring some bread and cheese to his brothers because his job was just to make sure the sheep were taken care of. And his daddy said, take some bread. He said, man, I got you. And so David takes some bread and cheese. And as he's coming to bring his brother, the, the ones that that were well equipped for battle. The ones that were there called as the army of God, the ones that were that were arrayed in splendor and arrayed with shields and swords and everything that you could fight with. And David simply is just gonna bring some bread and cheese. <laughs> he's going, oh, good Lord. He go offer some bread and cheese. And as he's walking up to his brothers to bring bread and cheese, he hears a clamoring, and it's a clamoring. And he looks, he said, what is this clamoring? And it's his brothers who are shaking and their and shin, the metal on their shins that are coming. They're clanking together and they're terrified. And then he hears something else and he hears Goliath, this Goliath of Gath, who is, the Bible says, mocking the armies of God. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine to talk and speak about the armies of God? He wasn't even a soldier. He was a shepherd boy with a couple of stones and a sling. But even David knew in the Old Testament, if God is for me. Not that giant or not my God, not his brothers. Not every enemy that said nobody will stand before me. If God, he even tells Goliath, he says, you come to me with a spear and a sword. I don't care if you're 17 foot, 3 inches away, 900 pounds. You come to me with a but I come to you standing in the name, standing in the nature. If God be for me, I come to you in the name of the Lord. The stone was simply the tool by which David killed him. But did you not know that when he released that stone, whew, the breath of God caught that rock and put it right in the head of Goliath? Don't get me started. But you get me to preach, and I won't, you won't get out here early. 
if God be for me, who can be against me? If God is for me, all the naysayers can't. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what the prognosticators say. It doesn't even matter what the old enemy himself says. If God is for me, I defy anything to try to stand against me. In fact, Jesus would look at Peter one day and say, and say, upon this rock. What's the rock? It's not Peter. Peter means a little pebble. The rock is the understanding of, of who Jesus was. And who was Jesus? Jesus was a son of God in which the spirit of God was manifesting in the earth. I'm going to say it again. Because this is the rock. Jesus said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. What's the rock? The rock is the understanding. Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, which is to say, you are the offspring of God, which is to say, inside of you is the spirit of God, which is to say, everything that you're doing, you're doing by the spirit of your father that lives within you, which is to say, if he's the firstborn among many brethren, there are some more brethren walking the earth, and the spirit of God manifesting in through his people in the earth. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Won't prevail against what? The understanding that everything that God does in the earth, he does by his spirit moving through the hearts of people. Period. If God be for me, who can be against me? We've got to cultivate this consciousness this ever-present awareness that he's with me. The closeness of God is closer than your very breath. I said he is your very breath. I'm sorry, I'm trying to. You got me excited. I can't hardly talk about the goodness of God and not get excited. So you just have to overlook me. John said, he's the one, not me, he's the one that I've been telling you would come after me, even though he ranks far above me. Because he existed before I was even born. And in case you didn't read, Jesus said, of all of the men, of all of the prophets born of women, there's not existed a greater than John. Why did he say that? Because John is the only prophet. And by the way, in case you didn't know, although you read about John in the New Testament, the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are actually transitional books into the New Testament, which is established in Acts. You got the Old Testament, and then you have this, this period of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus is fulfilling the law, fulfilling the prophets, and then at his ascension, and then when he sends his spirit on Pentecost into the church, then the church is born. That starts the new covenant, the New Testament, that was paid for by his blood at Calvary. And so John is an Old Testament prophet, and that's why Jesus said, of all the prophets born of men, there has not lived a greater than John the Baptist. And I love that. And why? Because John is the only one that saw the fulfillment of every law and every prophet in the man, Jesus Christ. And that's why he would look one day and say, oh, my God, behold the Lamb of God. This is the one that Isaiah talked about, and this is the one that Moses foresaw, and this is the one that was prophesied. It wasn't about Isaac. The seed of Abraham is that one right there. This is the one. And then he says this, and yet he that is least in the kingdom is greater than John. Why? Because they're in the kingdom. John is part of the old covenant that was passing away, and everybody that's born in the kingdom is a part of the new covenant that will never pass away. And by the way, don't worry about those guys. They were grafted in. We're good. Ah. No one ever before gazed upon the full splendor of God except his uniquely beloved son 
who is cherished by the Father and held close to his heart. Now that he has come to us, he has unfolded the full explanation of who God truly is. Now I'm going to read a few notes and we'll get you out of here. Jesus came to reveal God. If you haven't heard my message yet, it's probably the most powerful message I could preach. Jesus is God's selfie. If God ever did this, if you see Jesus, you've seen, you've seen the Father. In fact, he said that. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Oh, you mean, you mean he's forgiving and he's loving and he loves his enemies? And really the only people who ever had a problem with are religious hypocrites that think they know everything? Yeah, like that. You mean Father is like the son that got dressed in a towel? I mean, the last, the very last... The very last act that Jesus is going to do before his crucifixion is wash the nasty feet of his disciples. That don't sound like church to me. Most churches that I know, man, they got a chair that's so dang big you think the pastor is a, is a, is a king. You seen them? Please don't get mad at me. Please don't get mad. But what, what is that? What is that? Well, that's the bishop. He's the pastor. He's the set man of the house. I learned a long time ago, Charles Johnson taught me, every promotion that you get in ministry is to servanthood. And the Bible says that all these are built on the foundation of the apostles, which is to say, you don't ever look at a house and say, man, that's a beautiful foundation. You never looked at it and said, my God, you should have seen that foundation in that house. I mean, it was something, it was something to behold. You don't see it. But the fact that you see anything else means the foundation did their job, did his job. And every promotion minister, ministry people, and you all are, but people that want to operate in the ministry, you better understand that every promotion in the kingdom is not so you can get a big chair and have a bunch of people honor you because you're some sort of a pseudo leader. Every promotion in the kingdom is going to put you just like this. Jesus had a day to live. And of all the things he could choose to do, he said, I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter, Peter said, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet, but I'm not, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you'll have no part with me. And Peter said, man, they're not only my feet, but my head and my everything else also. And Jesus said, it's only necessary that I wash your feet. I'll leave that part because if I get there, I'm going to preach for another hour while he washed his feet. Jesus came to reveal God. He came to show us God's heart, his intent, and his desire. Jesus is the only uniquely qualified one of all of the great men of old to show us the heart, the intent, and the desire of God. And his desire was and is to live among us. In fact, his desire all along was to live within us. Of all the places the creator of all things could live, he chose to live in us. The myth of separateness has been perpetrated in the earth since the fall of man. I heard a well-intended man last night. I know the guy. He's a good guy, and I love him. He's a friend of mine. It's the button in me. I can't help it. I'm sorry. Not the gross part. But I, I, I'm going to ask you one question. Do I look in Bear's church? <laughs> the, and the gentleman said, I, I listened to his... Uh, it, it, I, if I called the thing, you'd probably know what it is. But they, well, the thing that they, that they meet together, they call it prophetic. And I thought, this sounds a little more pathetic than prophetic, but we'll go with it. And uh, uh, he was talking about when the Lord cast, uh, or when Eve and Adam were cast from the garden. 
And the Bible says, and he put, uh, he put a cherub in the, in the way with the flaming sword to guard the way. And, and, and he, somehow out of that, he got their angels flaming swords keeping people out of the garden. No, that's not what it says. He put a cherubim in the, in the, at, the, at the entrance of the garden to, with a flaming sword to guard the way. To, to guard the way, to show the way is really what the word is. To show the way. Not to keep people out, but to show you how to get back in. That's what it was for. I'll give you this little, this little secret. My sister Carrie and I talked about this past week. She had a dream and we talked about it. And when the Lord revealed this to me, I've shared it with you a couple of times, but I think it bears repeating. And Jesus is getting in, in this upper room thing. He's getting ready to leave. He says, uh, I'm getting ready to go. And where I'm getting ready to go, you can't come now, but you'll come later. And they said, where are you going? He said, well, you know the way. Well, how do we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the, and the, and the. Did you know Jesus never one time says, if you get saved, you get to go to heaven. I'm not saying it's not true. Just listen to me. Listen to me. The purpose of Jesus was not to get you saved so you can get your house in the sky. The purpose of Jesus was to reveal a way back to your original estate in communion and unbroken communion with the Father. Jesus said, I am the, he said, I go to the Father, and where I go now, you can't come, but you'll come. And the reason they couldn't come yet, because he hadn't fulfilled everything he needed to fulfill, including dying, being buried, raised from the dead, ascending, taking the blood, his own blood, and putting it on the mercy seat, which is not the type, but the real thing, and it exists there forever, and it's just as efficacious today as it was when he did it 2,000 plus years ago. And they said, he said, because I am the way, let's, let's, let's get this word, the way, and the, and the, now, if we did this backwards, it would be the life, truth, and, okay. Jesus said, not that I'm going to go to heaven so that I can get you away to heaven. He wants to get us back to the Father. And he is the, I'm going to get this in your hearts, and the, and the, and the Lord said to Adam, the Lord said to Adam, in the midst of the, gar in the, midst of the garden, there were really two trees. One is the tree of life. And the other was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't touch it and don't eat of it. Because in the day that you do touch it or eat of it, you will surely die. Did he say that? So what happens? The Bible says that Eve saw the tree and saw that the fruit was good for food. You know all this. So she partook. Why does she partake? Because the serpent appears. And what does the serpent say? You might know. The serpent says to her, hath God said, I'm going to do it in the King James Version because, you know, it's the one that Jesus carried. Hath God said that in the day you eat of the tree, of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that you would surely die? And then he twists one small thing. He says, but God knows that in the day you eat of that tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. So here's the reality. Man was created in his image and after his likeness. And the lie is, you got to do something to be like God. Are you tracking with me? And so, because they partook of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, seeing both good and evil, and, and essentially becoming judges when that happened, and because they left the garden, Jesus says, it was always the plan of my Father to live in constant, unbroken communion with His creation. In fact, He wanted a tabernacle among them. But I've got, because of the Eve that listened to the serpent, here's what He said, the, the Father says to Eve that day. He says, because you have done this, 
I'm going I'm to put enmity between your offspring and between the serpent. And then he looks at the serpent. And, he, and by the way, he never cursed Adam and Eve. The Bible says he cursed. He said, cursed is the ground for your sake. And he said, upon your belly to the serpent you will go and you will eat the dust thereof all the days of your life. And he said, but one day, Eve, your offspring is going to crush the head of this serpent. So Jesus, fast forward to Jesus in the upper room, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And when the Adam and Eve left the garden, the Bible says that there was a flame, there was a, there was a cherub, a, a cherub put at the way, at the, at the entrance of the garden to guard the, to guard the way. Now think about this. If there's a cherub holding a flaming sword up high, to me, that's not keeping someone out. That's shining a light to show the way to get back in. So, so Jesus said, I am the way. I am the one that holds the flaming sword. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so what's the next step in our, in, in our coming to our reality is, is truth. I am the way and the truth. What did the enemy did? What did the enemy do to cause them to lose their way? He lied to them, and they believed a lie. But what Jesus came to do was show the way to undo the lie and reveal the truth that... Reveal the truth that I am the way, the truth, and the life. That Hey, here's the way. I'm the flaming angel. I'm the sword, the angel with the flaming sword guarding the way, and I'm going to tell you the truth, and here's the truth. God loves you, and he's for you, and, and he's not against you, and he ain't mad at you, and he loves you so much that he sent me. In fact, John 3.16 says it best. You know what it is? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And Jesus said, here's the truth. I'm the way. Here's the truth. The truth of it is, you ain't got to do a thing to be like God. You were born like God. You were created in His image and after His likeness. You carry inside of yourself the likeness of God. You bear His image. You are the glory bearer. The issue is not what you do or don't carry. The issue is you don't know it because of the lie that was told. But I'm going to undo the lie. I'm going to be the prototype son that's going to come and do everything I do. I'm talking real fast, trying to get you out. Everything I do as a son in right relationship with the Father. So here's the truth. What, what if you already were whole? What if in God's eyes you were already perfect? Now don't throw stuff at me. What if in God's eyes you've never been a wretch? Saved a wretch like me. No, you're one or the other. You're either a wretch or you're, or, you know, you're born in the kingdom. I'm, I'm going to go with what's behind door number B. Letter B. You're not a, what if God never has ever seen you as a wretch? What if he has never seen you as anything but his son and his daughter? And all he's ever longed to do is for you to become aware of his ever-present closeness. Do you remember when the son, the prodigal son, had left the father? It, the Bible just said, and he came to himself. Notice the father didn't go chase him out in the, in the, in the pig pen, but the goodness of God did. Father wasn't chasing, but the good, because the Bible says while he was there slopping with the pigs, he said, he remembered the goodness of his father's house and even how the servants of his father's house have plenty to eat and some to spare. So I'm going to come back. And so, and so Jesus is the way, he's the truth. And when we see the truth about ourselves, then what happens? We get all the way back to the middle of the garden and we eat of the tree of life and we live and never die. The myth of separateness has been perpetrated in the earth since the fall of man. Jesus came to restore not only us, but to restore our broken image of Father. 
Jesus was and is the perfect expression of Father's heart. John 14, 20 says so. So when the day comes, you will know that I am living in the Father and that you are one with me and I will be living in you. There is no place in the universe that he would rather be than you. It is incumbent upon us, I'm finishing, to cultivate the consciousness of closeness. Did you know that you hear your voice in your life, you're going to hear your voice more than anybody else's voice, so you should talk kindly to yourself. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm from above. I'm not from beneath. He doesn't judge me based on what I do. I'm not a human doing. I'm a human being. And because I'm a human being, I'm created in his image and after his likeness. I bear within myself the, 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 the glory of God. I am a glory bearer. I am a DNA carrier. I am, I mean, I mean think about this. Talk nice to yourself. Most of us live with the terrible lie that God is at least mildly disgusted with us. Does anybody ever live with that? Because we live with ourselves and we know what we do. And because we know what we do, we judge ourselves after that. I'm not, making a, I'm not giving you a license to sin. God knows if we, if we were given licenses to sin, we would have figured out by now how to sell those things. We'd laminate them and have them out front. Here's your license to sin. That's not what I'm doing. What if I were to tell you that the real sin, what sin was, is not what you did or didn't do. Sin is believing anything about yourself other than what God says. And the byproduct of that is the stuff that we do to be fulfilled, to try to make ourselves worthy. The sin is not the stuff you do. That's a byproduct of a fallen nature. The sin, which just means missing the mark, is seeing yourself, by the way, and your brothers and sisters around you as anything less than what Father expressed when he spoke you into being. Almost finished. Who's close? Somebody come play the keys just to make it real nice and sweet. Most of us live with the terrible lie that God is at least mildly disgusted with us. It is a lie that echoes even in the sanctuary of many churches. But we are not repugnant to God. We are the apple of his eye. To cultivate the consciousness of anything, we must first hear the truth. And you've heard it this morning. And the truth is that separateness from Father is a myth. Well, you mean sin doesn't mean separation from God? Yeah, but really, before that, really what it means is, is missing the mark. There's the bullseye, and you miss it. So sin is separateness, sin is missing the mark, which is to say sin is a false identity, which is to say there's nothing real about it. We believe a whole lot in our sin, and we don't believe enough in the work of Jesus. Let me finish up. Isaiah, can you turn that piano on? He's not up there, out there. He lives within you. So when we begin to understand he chose to make his home in us, that he lives in us, then we begin to see as he sees. We hear as he hears, and he has no interest in moving out. We are his home, and he will take out the trash and do the laundry. I'll say that again. We are his home, and because he lives and abides within us, it is his job and responsibility, and he's fine with it, to take out the trash and to clean the dirty laundry that's within. He has no problem doing it. 
We think that God is a guest. And so we have to clean ourselves up and purify ourselves and do what they call holiness, which has zero to do with holiness. Holiness is an attribute of nature of God and you. But anyways, we'll leave that part alone. We think, we, you know, we treat God as a house guest. So let's try to impress God. You know, whenever you have people want to come over, you're going to make sure the house is at least I hope you do. Probably some of you don't, but I know some of you do. You're going to clean your house and you're going to wash your dishes and you're not going to have dirty laundry laying all over the floor and you know, you're going to try to clean it up. That's the way that we treat God. Let's try to just act and pretend that we are one way. The truth of it is God don't want to be a guest in your home. He wants to live there. And because he wants to live there, he has no problem taking out the trash and doing the dirty laundry himself. And he ain't afraid of your dirt. Remember Reba Rambo? Donnie McGuire wrote that song years ago. There was a, an album they recorded in the 80s, and it's called Live in the Combat Zone. And one of the most powerful phrases of all the songs they wrote on that whole record, and it's all good, is, and Jesus, he ain't afraid of dirt. Remember that? I would sing it, but I got accused of singing too much a couple weeks ago, so I won't do that. We're his home, and he will take out the trash and the laundry. He doesn't live in us as a guest as though we need to try to impress him with how clean and sparkly our lives are. No, he lives within us. He is the resident within us. He tabernacles in us. We are his home by his choosing. You mean you'd want to live in me? I absolutely do. He has moved into his dream home, and he'll not allow anyone or anything evict him from his home. Did you know that God loves living inside of you? Well, I haven't heard this before. Well, then that's probably why you're here today. He loves living inside of you. He loves making his abode in you. He loves, he loves going to the places that you go. You're his house. He chose to, in fact, he told David one day, he said, at any time that I ever tell you to build me a temple, I never wanted to live in a temple. Remember, David said he had it in his heart. He was sitting on his throne one day, and, you know, he was looking at the trappings of, of all of his victories in battle and war, and he said, man, this is crazy. Here I am, a, a natural king, and I live in this beautiful palace, and God lives in a tent. I'm going to build for God a house. And the Lord said, you're not going to build me a house. You're a man of war. But, he, but what he first said, he said, have, at any time, have I ever told you to build me a house? And the reason is because God always wanted to live in a tent because a tent moves. And God always wanted to show his people, I want to go where you go. I'm not just going to sit in one place and have you approach me. I'll go where you go. Which means when you go into the depths of despair, I'm there with you. And when you walked into that situation that you knew you probably shouldn't have walked into and you got yourself in trouble, I was there with you. I didn't leave you then. When Jesus said, I'll go with you always, even until the end of the age, he meant it. We've got to cultivate this consciousness that he's with us. When we don't have the goose pimples and when the right song isn't sung and it's Thursday and we almost forgot everything that was said Sunday and, and that lady just pulled out in front of me and made me want to cuss her out. In that moment, he's just as close as he is right now with a tear running down your cheek. He tabernacles with you. He lives inside of you. And by the way, not only does he live inside of you, he'd like to get out. And I don't mean leave you. What I mean is he'd like for you to express. You, you are the expression of God now in the earth. So everywhere you go, you should you'd be, be a light in darkness. Amen. Makes sense. Talk to yourself well this week. Let's stand and pray and I'll let you go home. I'm sorry that we're still a few minutes after 12.
for whatever reason, Lord, and we may never know your motive, but we do know your means. You chose us to live in. And because you live in us and because you're for us, what can be against us? What could stand against us? Lord, as we go through this week, help us to remain conscious and cognizant of the reality that we bear your image. We are glory bearers. We are image bearers. And because we are, we have innately within us the ability to change the atmosphere around us. Not just the ability to, but everywhere we go, that's what happens. We're not thermometers. We're thermostats. We set the climate. We set the atmosphere. Help us, Father, even in the, in the times, Lord, where we feel despair, Lord, and when we feel hurt, when we feel betrayed, Lord, when we, even when we feel angry, to understand even in those moments that you're there with us and you choose to tabernacle among your people, among us, even in those times. Help us to become more conscious of your closeness than anything else. In fact, help, it, help us, Lord, to metamorphose to the place that all the only thing that we're aware of is your presence and your reality and your voice. We hear your voice above all of the voices, and we feel your touch above everything else that we feel. And we follow your leading before we follow anything else. Lord, we believe that the way that we cultivate that is, 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 with, is with the washing of water by the Word. And it's not just the Bible, but it's the Word. It's, the, it's your expression. It's who you are. It's understanding ourselves uh, through the prism of the life of Jesus Christ, that you came to love us, that you came to redeem us back, that you weren't beating Jesus because you were mad, but according to the New Testament, you were in Jesus reconciling the world back into yourself. Repair and redeem and heal our broken image of you so that you can repair and redeem and heal our broken image of ourselves so that you can repair and redeem and heal our broken image of each other. So we can see you as we are, as you are, see ourselves as we are, and see our brothers and sisters as they are. And then we truly will be able to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. Help us in this week to be conscious of your closeness in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you for coming out uh, with us at Truvine today. I hope that you will uh, check out our website. Check out the events that we've got coming up. Go enjoy a 70-plus degree day. At least that's what I was told. Is it warm out there yet? Eh? Not quite? What? It's, it's better than 30 and rainy. I'm going to leave it at that. In Jesus' name. Y'all have a good day. Love you.